She opens it, looks inside, closes it. Blinking lights illuminate the pathway. Get it? Yes. Then give it. She takes a breath. 7.30 a.m. He walks from the entrance on York Street, totally bypassing the correct entrance on 67. When I'm prepared for rain, it never does. Imagine this place I'm standing. Imagine we're just right there. This is Active Listening, a new dramatist's podcast series that invites the resident playwrights to experiment with story, intimacy, and immediacy through sound experiences. This initiative was born of the questions that became urgent as our pandemic lockdowns began. What are creative alternatives to gathering together in rooms? What might a play for the ear sound like? Each episode features work by a different resident playwright. This episode features work by Matthew Freeman, who writes, I'm both missing live performance and feeling anxiety about a return to audiences. This piece is my attempt to both abstract and celebrate the feeling of the audience's arrival, reactions, and presence. This is He Died on a Sunday Afternoon in a Motel on the Way to by Matthew Freeman. Thank you for attending this performance of He Died on a Sunday Afternoon in a Motel on the Way to. Please silence your cell phones. In the unlikely event of a fire, please walk, do not run, to the nearest fire exit. The fire exits in this theater are located behind this curtain, just behind the stage, and right behind you, the door you came in. Enjoy the show. Lights Rise, Scene 1. Early morning. The kitchen of a lower middle class home. The color of the place is late 70s, lime green and orange and tan. Linoleum countertops and a linoleum table with rusted silver metal legs. The door to the driveway is rattled and finally opened. It sticks and the keys are a little old. Rebecca enters. She's a woman in her mid-50s. She's in the midst of a career as an educator. She puts her purse down on the chair and surveys the kitchen. Then she walks through the kitchen into the family room beyond. She returns with a pile of mail in her hand. She puts the mail on the kitchen table and sits. The chair feels unsteady. She notices this and stands up. She pushes the chair a bit to see how sturdy it is. Then she pushes the chair into the center of the floor and chooses a different one. She sits and looks at the mail. Then she looks out the window. She takes a breath. She looks at the first piece of mail and sets it on the table. She picks up the next and places it on the other side of the table. She picks up a third piece of mail and puts it on the right, another on the right, the next on the left. The two piles begin to form. She picks up a letter that she is apparently unsure about. She puts it on one pile and then rethinks it. She puts it on the other. She puts her head down on the table. Then she stands, goes to the refrigerator. She opens it, looks inside, closes it. She looks at the kitchen, surveys it, blackout. Scene two, late at night. Enter Reed, a man in his fifties from the unlocked door. He looks at it sternly and then locks it from the inside. He does this by the outside light. Then he turns on the kitchen light. He looks at the table, 
piles of mail. He peers back into the dark house. He throws his keys onto the table, which crash onto the mail, sending it everywhere. He looks at the mail, scattered. Blackout. Scene 3. Early morning, Rebecca enters in a bathrobe. She begins to make coffee with an ancient coffee maker. She sees the keys on the table and the mail on the floor. She picks the keys up and puts them in her pocket. Then she gently picks up each piece of mail and puts them on the table. Then she sits and begins to remake the piles. Her phone rings off stage. It's the standard ring. She doesn't know how to make her ringtone interesting. She hurries to it and returns to the kitchen with her phone in hand. She leans against the counter, waiting for the coffee. The phone wasn't for her. She looks over her texts, scrolls, then she takes a picture of the table with her phone. And then she takes a picture of the kitchen with her phone. Blackout. Scene four. Later that morning, the coffee is burnt and half full, but still warming. Reed is wandering through the house. He cannot find his keys. He looks at the coffee and decides to pour himself some. He takes a sip. It's terrible. Enter Rebecca with a paper bag of groceries. She sees him and he sees her. She puts the grocery bag on the table and takes the items out of the bag one by one. The basics, except for a particular brand of snack cake. Reed watches and sips his coffee. Rebecca reaches into her purse and puts his keys on the key rack near the door. Then she goes back to putting the groceries away. Reed watches her, uninterested in helping. Then Reed exits into the house. Rebecca puts the groceries away and thinks. She goes into the other room, leaving the stage empty. She returns with her laptop. She places it on the table alongside a yellow legal pad. She looks at the laptop. It's not connecting to Wi-Fi. She fiddles with it, gives up and closes it. She begins to write something longhand. Blackout. Scene five, late afternoon. Two folders are now on the table. One is labeled bills and the other correspondence. Rebecca is making a sandwich. She cries as she does so. She does it in fits and starts, just as it strikes her to do so, for no one and in a way that surprises her. We find that she's made two sandwiches, one she leaves in the fridge, the other she eats as she cries. Reed's keys are no longer on their hook. Blackout. Scene six, early evening. Reed enters and places his keys on the hook by the door. He takes off his jacket and looks around. He seems to be alone. He walks to the fridge and opens it. He takes out the sandwich that Rebecca made. He looks it over, as if he has discovered a strange object while scouring the surface of the moon. Then he decides, this is for me. He takes a bottle of Diet Coke out of the fridge and puts it on the counter. He goes to the cupboard and opens it to find a glass. No, not there, just dusty perishables. Here? No, 
he finally finds some glasses. He takes one out, then he thinks twice. He places the glass on the table and reopens the second cupboard he tried. He reaches in and pulls out a bottle of vodka, just behind a box of Bisquick. He puts it on the table. It's cheap vodka, about a quarter full. He angrily takes it to the garbage and throws it in. Then he pours himself some Diet Coke and eats his sandwich, standing up. Blackout. Scene 7. Later. The television can be heard in the other room, and the lights of the television light up the kitchen. Enter Reed, who does not turn on the kitchen light. He's smiling. Whatever's on is fun. He opens the fridge and takes out the box of snack cakes. He takes one out and puts the box back in the fridge. Then his phone rings. Jazz music. He looks at it. Hangs it up without answering. Then he returns to the TV room. Blackout. Scene 8. Night. Rebecca is sitting at the kitchen table, transferring what she wrote on her legal pad to a document on her laptop. She's playing Joni Mitchell through its tinny speakers. She seems happy to be up and working. She presses something on her laptop, and the CD pops out. She puts the CD to the side and reaches into her bag. She pulls out a little old plastic CD travel case, finds what she wants, and puts it in. Hall and Oates, rich girl. She sings along, just a bit, as she types. Blackout. Scene 9. The next morning, bright and early. The kitchen table is empty except for the folders. Birds are chirping, just like they do in the morning, on TV. A neighbor, Josie, comes to the back door. She peers in, sees no one. She looks around and then really pushes her face against the door, hard to see if that helps. <laughs> it doesn't. Blackout. Scene 10. Later that morning, Reed and Rebecca sit at the table together. They drink coffee and eat toast. Rebecca is reading a newspaper. Reed looks at his cell phone. They do not look at each other. After a moment, Rebecca stops short, a deep intake of breath. Reed looks at her. She puts her hand on her own lips, composes herself. Reed keeps looking at her. She is still in that pose, hands on her lips. Then she settles, returns to her paper. He returns to his phone. It vibrates. He picks it up, smiles at a text, looks at Rebecca as if he would like to show her, remembers that he won't, puts the phone back on the table. Blackout. Scene 11. Noon. On the table now is a multi-page document, taped and bound with a clip. Reed sits facing it. He puts his hand on the edges, almost as if he would like to test its width. He removes the clip and begins with the first page, scans it, turns the first page over, scans it, flips through a few pages and then stops, puts the document back together and puts the clip on it. Then he rises and goes to the garbage. He takes the vodka bottle out of the garbage and places it on the table beside <laughs> him. He smiles to himself, a good joke. Josie, the neighbor, 
suddenly bangs on the door. Blackout. <laughs> Scene 12. Rebecca is listening to a voicemail. The bottle of vodka is on the table and open. Rebecca hangs up her phone. She takes a sip of vodka. Enter Reed. He's holding the documents that were left on the table. Rebecca hoists her vodka at him. A salute. Reed wordlessly finds a glass of his own. He fills it up with the rest of the vodka. Then he takes a single sheet of paper from the top of the document. He tears it in half. Then into quarters. He places the remnants on the table. Rebecca rises and fetches a waste paper basket. She puts it beside Reed. She sits again and sips. Reed begins to tear each page off the document as he drinks. One by one, they go into the trash. Black. Scene 13. Early morning, perhaps days later. Josie is in the kitchen. She is well-dressed. Some music is playing, Light FM. She's arranging some flowers, whistling, making sure they look perfect. They look perfect to her. Josie looks suddenly exhausted. Enter Reed in a black suit. He doesn't speak to Josie. He walks straight past her and exits to the outdoors. Josie looks after him. She expected this. Rebecca enters. She's dressed in something floral. Nice enough. She's putting on some makeup. She sits at the table with her makeup case and finishes in front of Josie. When she's done, she closes the case and looks at Josie as if to present herself. How do I look? She doesn't say. Blackout. Scene 14. Earlier that month, an old man enters his kitchen. He has the crossword under his arm. He's humming. He walks up to the back door and peers out. He really looks. He goes to the cupboard and pulls out an unopened bottle of vodka. Then he gets a little orange juice and combines the two in a glass. He takes a pen out of his pocket and clicks it open. He licks the tip of the pen like it might do some good. He begins the crossword and happily sips his screwdriver. Breakfast is perfect. Blackout. You just heard, He Died on a Sunday Afternoon in a Motel on the Way to. It was written, edited, and performed by Matthew Freeman. The music was Afterglow by Marshall Usinger. Active Listening is a project of New Dramatists and is produced by Corinne Keithley-Sires and Melissa Tien. More information on the series and a sonic visualization of each episode can be found by going to newdramatists.org slash listening. New Dramatists is one of the country's leading playwright centers and a nationally recognized new play laboratory. Its mission is to provide playwrights with time, space, and resources in the company of gifted peers to create work, realize their artistic potential, and make lasting contributions to the theater. 
Active listening is made possible with generous support from the Ventures Theatre Fund of the Tides Foundation.